All right, well, you may be seated. Uh, Welcome to Mercy Fellowship. So glad that you guys are here this morning on this beautiful, sunny summer morning. Um, There's a lot of other things you could be doing right now, but we're so glad that you're here with us. My name is Matt. If you haven't met me yet, I am not the main pastor here, but uh, I get a chance to preach every so often as an associate pastor. And and Pastor Chris and his family are on vacation, and uh, they're off in Bend and just getting some R&R time. Uh, We were actually supposed to give them a um, sabbatical this year because Chris has been going for like 10 years without a break. But with all the stuff going on with, with, you know, the virus and everything, we just felt like like, this was probably not the summer for them to be trying to travel or do anything major. So um, they're just on vacation, and we're just, we're praying and hoping that they just feel, you know, rested. Um, Because Chris does a lot here, and and we're so glad to have him here. So today I am uh, coming to talk to you. We're in the uh, book of Psalms, and I'm going to be talking about Psalm 73. And what I really love about the Psalms is, you know, we spend a lot of time here uh, talking about theology, about who is God, like how do we interact with him, you know, all this like really important stuff. And, And I do believe that's super important. We have theology, and then there's practice. And sometimes the theology, the things that we know about God, doesn't always translate into what we practice. And so as we look and we read Psalms, the, the psalmists do a lot of, like, processing through. Like, how do we take what we know about God, and how do we live it out in our lives? And so what I'm really uh, hear from this passage, and what I want to bring to you guys this morning is, is this concept of how to have a deep relationship with God. And if you guys were here, I don't know, three weeks, four weeks ago, when I preached uh, about God being our refuge. We had a little outdoor service here, and then like that really, really hot weekend. You can kind of consider this as like part two of that service uh, of, of what I preached there. But really, how do we have a deep relationship with God, a soul-satisfying relationship with God? Because I, I don't know about you guys, I grew up in the church, and there have been times in my life when I'm just like going through the motions, and I just feel dry, thirsty, if you will, for like something that really satisfies. And sometimes we don't feel like we're getting it at church. Sometimes we don't feel like we're getting it in our relationship with God. So what do we do? So in the last few years, I've really been working, I would say, in my own life about how do I deepen my relationship with God? How do I make God more important in my life? How do I not be at this place where I feel... I don't know, unsatisfied with my relationship with God. So uh, I want to just kind of pull some things out of this, this uh, chapter, uh, book, uh, Psalm 73, about how to have a deep relationship with God. And as I was processing through, uh, a, you know, a good story to go along with this, uh, many of you guys knew I grew up in Colombia, South America, and um, as a missionary kid, and it was a pretty amazing time in my life. But my dad was there as a missionary. And I don't know if you guys have ever considered being a missionary. Um, my dad was just a construction worker. Like, that's what he did. He was a bricklayer by trade. And he felt like God wanted him and led our family to go overseas to use his regular skills to, um, to, to serve God overseas. And so he, uh, he became uh, a missionary and, and moved our family down to Columbia, South America during the, like, 
horrible drug years of Columbia. Like, if you guys have ever seen Narcos, don't watch it if you haven't. But if you have, you know it was pretty, pretty gnarly down there uh, during those times. And so my dad, being in construction, his job was to, um, you know, help out in any construction projects that needed to be done. And so there was this tribe, uh, the Chimila Indians, and they're up kind of the north coast of Columbia, if you think about kind of where Columbia is. Um, and they uh, had a missionary outpost there. They're, they're trying to translate God's word into that, their language there. And so the, the problem with that area was very, very remote, and they didn't have any good drinking water. So they asked my dad to come out and to um, see the area and see how could they potentially build a well for these people so that they could um, not be drinking this, this water. So uh, my dad tells the story. So I'm retelling the story my dad tells. Um, so he is asked to go on the trip, and my dad's, you know, my size. Um, and um, he goes on the trip, and so it's a, it's a three, like a three-day trip. And so he takes a flight out to San, Santa Marta, which is right on the coast, and then they get on a bus, and they go as far as a bus can take them, and then they get in a jeep, and they're all like off-roading on a jeep, right, until that is as far as it will take it. And then they got to go the rest of the way on burrow. Okay, so burrow. So I don't know why they didn't have horses. Um, to me, we have horses at our house. Like, horses seem much more doable. But uh, these are burrow, like little donkeys. And, uh, you, know, you know, you see the pictures of, um, you know, the coffee guy, you know, uh, Juan Valdez or whatever with his, like, burrow with the coffee. I mean, those are legit how they transport stuff. Uh, in Colombia, when you're going deep into the jungle and deep into the Amazon. So there's my dad, and he gets on this, this little burrow, and it's so small, and I feel bad for this burrow, that his heels touch the ground. So my dad's now got to go, I think it's like six hours on burrow while trying to keep his heels from touching the ground. And he said, like, they'd be going along, and he would just kind of relax, and his feet would, like, slump down, and they would get tangled in the feet of the burrow, and both of them would go boom, boom, and fall down, and the burrow would stop, and then they would have to get him loaded back up, and then try to convince the burrow to get going again. And if you've ever worked with a donkey before, that's in itself an entirely difficult process. So there's my dad, you know, this, this big white American, um, you know, Tramp, trampsing through the jungle on a burrow, and as they're coming into the, to the village, they have these two dugout, like, ponds that the, kind of the road goes in between. There's, there's one on the right side and the left side, and it's pretty, it's in, and there's water in it, and it's like green, like, scuzz on the top, right? And the one on the left, there's like a dead donkey, like, just laying in the hot sun, okay? And so they, they come walking by, and my dad is is looking at it, and he says that the, there's the water and the smell is absolutely gross. And they come into town, and because he's, you know, the white American, he is uh, treated with all the, the respect that they have muster, and he gets to stay with the chief of the village. So he goes into the, the chief village. Hold on a second here. I got something for you guys. Uh, just for the, for the kids out there. Um, and they go to, to serve him the water that was um, from their, their village, what they would do is they'd go out to those ponds and they would take their buckets and just 
get in the water, try to get as clean a water as possible, and then come bring it, and that was what they drank. And so when they got to uh, the, um, just kind of look at that while I'm talking here, right? Like, you see, the, like, the, the scuds in the, in the middle? I don't know if you can see that from there. So, there, so he's in the village, he's in the chief's house, and they're like, hey, we're going to make you some real Colombian coffee. So they go there, and if have you guys been to South America, I know, Mike, I'm looking at you. The two of us have had coffee in uh, Central America uh, made from questionable water, okay? So, so they're making it this water, and they, what, they do, what they would do is they'd take the water, they would, they'd warm it up to just about a boil, and then they would put it into the cups, and they would sprinkle coffee grounds on it, and then let the coffee grounds kind of settle, and then just before they served it, they would take fresh water and just sprinkle it on the top to make sure everything like settled to the bottom, and then they served it to him as like, thank you so much for coming to our, we're going to give you our best coffee. And there my dad sat in the chief's village with this coffee made from the most disgusting water possible, and he had a choice to make. Does he drink the water or, you know, do the smart thing and not drink it? And he realized in that moment that he would have totally offended the, the village. So he had to just sit there and just sip his coffee and talk to this guy. And, um, and, and it kind of occurred to him as though they were going to come and bring him fresh water, that what they were really doing as missionaries which were bringing, him, bringing them the living water, right? The, the living water uh, from God, the soul-satisfying water. And uh, as I w- was processing and, and thinking about that story, talking to us, is I think sometimes we don't have a deep well of a relationship with God. And so we settle for shallow puddles of not great water. And, you know, when it dries up, we're thirsty, right? And when it rains, we've got fresh water for a little bit, and then it just kind of gets gross. We have these, uh, these horse waters, you know, and when the, when the horse water stays in there for real long, you get like all the little bugs in it, you know, and the stuff floating in it and stuff. Like that's oftentimes, I think, a good picture of what our relationship with God looks like, because we haven't spent time drilling a well deep into God that no matter what happens around us, no matter what goes on, that we have fresh water that satisfies our soul. And I think we are in danger of not when we don't do that, that we get really jaded about our relationship with God. Does God even care? You know, does God even see? Right? We have these struggles in this relationship. And I love the Psalms because of that. And so um, I have three points for you guys today that one, you got, we're going to sort through. But a deep relationship with God, number one, is based on honesty. So Deep relationship with God, first of all, is based on honesty. Number two, a deep relationship with God changes you. It changes you. You you don't stay the same if you have a relationship with God. And then three, a deep relationship with God is all about being near God. Like, that's the whole point of it, is being near God. And so I'm going to go through those three points. Um, But even before we get to Psalm 73, what I love the most about the Psalms is how honest the Psalms are. If you've ever read the Psalms, they are so incredibly honest. And uh, they kind of have a depth to the relationship that I kind of long for. 
you know, and they, they come before God. And David says, and this is kind of a theme throughout, in Psalm 139, uh, verses 23 and 24, David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Um, and he opens up his heart, right? See if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And I, I truly believe that the basis, the beginning of a relationship with God starts with this like opening up our heart and being like, here's what's in my heart, right? Look at my thoughts. Here's what's in my thoughts. Like a lot of times we don't want to think about what's in our thoughts or in our hearts, right? There's, a, there's stuff in there that we don't, we don't want to process through, right? But having a deep relationship with God is like putting our words to our emotions, to our thoughts, to our anxieties, to our fears, and saying, God, this is, this is where I'm at right now, right? This is what's really going on inside. And it's a scary thing, right? Like, we don't really want to look at what brokenness, what darkness, what evil kind of lies in our heart. We really, really don't want to be honest about that. But that's where our relationship with God starts, is being honest about where our hearts always— and the thing is that God's not afraid of what's in your heart. It doesn't freak God out when he sees the evil or the darkness or the brokenness that you feel in your heart. He already knows it's there. He already sees it. So I think that a lot of time, us expressing what's in our heart and what's going on there is more for us than it is for him, right? We say, oh God, I'm feeling this way right now. He's like, yeah, I know, I know. But why, why should we express it? Because when we process through it, and we start expressing either our emotions, thoughts, our fears, our anxieties, we kind of put words to it, then I believe that we're more open to hear what God has to say about that. Otherwise, we're just going around being like, I just don't feel right. I don't know what's going on. And then, you know, maybe we hear a sermon or something from God or read a verse, and we're like, huh, that's interesting. I don't know how that has anything to do with my situation because I'm not dealing with any of that stuff because we haven't really looked inside to see really what's going on. So when we are honest with ourselves, God, I'm feeling this way. He's like, okay, and I have a word for that. I have, I have something for you. So it really starts with being honest. And look at some of these verses. I'm just going to quickly go through some of these verses just to kind of prove my point here. Psalm 77 uh, verse 2, or verse 3, I think it is. Um, he says, when I remember God, I moan. Let me just stop right there. Can you imagine? Oh, God. Oh, I hate that guy. Right? He's moaning. He's not, this is not like a, I remember God, I like celebrate. Like, he's honest. He's like, I remember you, God, and I'm like, I'm not, it's not my favorite thing right now, right? Um, when I meditate, my spirit faints. Look, I'm gonna think about your scripture. Man, I hate this. This is so boring right? He's being honest. This is where I'm at. Uh, Psalm 13, 1, he goes, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? You ever felt like that? All right, hello, God. I've got a problem here. You haven't helped me yet. Like, do you even know what's going on? Right? Like, he's super honest about how long are you going to hide your face from me? All right, it's kind of a bold thing to say, hey, God, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, right? I'm, I'm calling you out. Uh, that's pretty crazy. Uh, verse 88, uh, Psalm 88, Verses three, uh, three, he goes, for my soul is full of troubles. Has ever felt like just, just so troubled in your soul? Just, just trouble, right? And then he goes, uh, my life draws near Sheol. Sheol's like hell. He's like, I'm going through hell right now. That's what I'm feeling inside. I am troubled, and this is the worst place I could possibly be. And he's just honest before God about how he's feeling. 
Uh, we don't, I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I don't, I, I don't usually have, I don't, I don't express my emotions to God often that way. And part of it is like the family I grew up in, we were allowed to express positive emotions only, right? So things are good, things are happy, you express those emotions, right? If you're sad, suck it up, right? If you're mad, you're the one with the problem, right? And if you're afraid, you don't believe in God. So we don't talk about any of those things. We only talk about the positive things. We're not going to give any credit to any of that stuff. But that's not what we see in the Bible. These guys are emotional. They're like, God, this is where I'm at. Check this out. This is where it kind of, for me, you know, um, Psalm 69, 24, this is him being angry. He goes, God, I want you to pour out your indignation on them. Let your burning anger overtake them. He's like saying, God, I want you just to punch them in the face right now. Just, just beat them, right? Whatever it takes. I, want, I just want you to pour out your anger on that guy, right? You ever feel that way? Maybe you don't want to be honest about it, but like the anger inside builds up. And you're like, this injustice, whatever it is, whew, bring that to God. It's crazy. Um, Psalm 109, this is like, hilarious, by the way. Psalm 109, 8 and 9. He goes, I want his day, may his days be few, and may another take his office. Let's start with that. You ever had a boss that you're like, I wish somebody else had his job, right? Like, I want his, day, I want his days to be few. That's like, I want him to have cancer and die, right? The next verse is even better. May his children be fatherless. I'm so mad at this guy that I want his children to no longer have a dad. Now, you can you know, it's not real hard to, to piece that together, right? And may his wife be a widow. I mean, he's angry. This is angry talk here, right? And I, I mean, you look at it, it's shocking. Like, how can this be, how can this be in the Bible, right? And I, I don't think that this is um, for us to say this is how we should feel. These are examples of what a relationship with God looks like, okay? And in the Psalms, especially these Psalms um, that are called... Um, they're like complaints, right? It says it starts with this um, pattern of orientation. So the, the psalm will start and be like, life is good. It's how it should be. We love Jesus. It's like the first couple verses. And then the next verse is like, but God, all this is really bad, and I hate this, and all of this complaining, and all this anger, and all this stuff. So it goes from orientation, like right orientation to God, then disorientation, and then it kind of at the end of the psalm, he goes back to reorientation, saying life is hard and difficult, God is good, and now I finally am like in a place where it's starting to make sense to me. And that's oft often how our relationship with God needs to go. And so sometimes we're in places of orientation, other times disorientation, and hopefully we're constantly being reoriented as we experience God. Um, especially when we see giant gaps between um, what we learn on Sunday, we read in the Bible, God is good, and then we look at our life and we don't feel like that's translating. It's not happening, right? And so what, what do we do? You ever feel that way? Like, I know these truths about God, but I'm living my life, and this is, it's not, it's not equating. And, and we get to a place where we, like, start really doubting our relationship with God. So let me show you. Psalm 73 uh, I'm just going to start with verse 1 because it starts with orientation. He goes, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So in a perfect world, this is how God works, right? God is good to Israel, his people, the people who, who you know, claim him as God, his people. God is good to them. I'm like, okay, yeah, his good people. 
And then he's good to people who are pure in heart. You're like, yeah, people who love God, who follow God. Those are the people that God is good to. And that makes sense, right? That's, that's like one plus one equals two, right? It, it seems really simple, really makes sense. But until we start really digging into that, and we say, well, what is the pure in heart, right? Because I'm pretty sure the Bible talks a lot that there's no one righteous. There's no one who's really good, right? So, yeah, I mean, are you guys really pure in heart? I mean, no brokenness, like just all goodness and, you know, beauty in your heart. We know that's not true. Um, and just Psalm 6, 5, or sorry, Isaiah 6, 5 says, he goes, Woe to me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amidst the people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the glory, or the Lord of hosts. And he's just, I mean, this is, this is us, right? Like, we say things, we do things. Our mouth is probably one of the quickest ways in which we, like, reveal our impurity, but our hearts are not clean before God. So I just wanted to specifically, he's like this, he's not necessarily talking about people who are perfect, or have done everything right, or their heart is great, you know. He's talking about people who have a real relationship with God. And we know as we, um, as we learn about what Jesus did on the cross, that all of us have sinned, all of us have brokenness, we have brokenness, and having a relationship with God is, is being honest, really, about the brokenness and saying, I can't fix this. And Jesus is like, I know. God is like, I know. That's why I sent Jesus to die for your sins, to live the life you couldn't live, and to pay the price so that you can be forgiven and have a right relationship with me. So this is talking about like a right relationship. And a relationship kind of feels different than this like, I do good, then God does good to me. That's it's a little bit different than a relationship. And we're going to get into that a little bit more. So it starts with this orientation, okay? God is good to those who have a relationship with him. And then he goes, okay. But as for me, verse 2, my feet had almost stumbled and my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I'm going to stop right there for a second. So honest, by the way. He's like, okay, but, so this is the truth. But for me, I was slipping. I was starting to fall. I don't know if you guys have ever done rock climbing. I've done a bit of rock climbing with my brother. He's kind of like likes to live on the edge and do some adventure stuff. And, you know, I can just I remember climbing up on these. Uh, we went to Joshua Tree and did some, um, we did four days of rock climbing and I had never rock climbed before, right? So they kind of teach you and they, you put in some protection and you climb up there and you're, you're up there and, and it's like a sandy rock and you get your fingers in a, you know, in a little crack here and a fingers in a crack here. And they're like, okay, what you do is this, the, the instructor's like, I just want you to stand up. And you're like, I'm like on a straight wall. How does stand up make any sense at all? But if you know anything about rock climbing, like the closer you are to the rock, the more, the fast, the quicker it is they're going to fall. You need to like push yourself away from the rock, which gives you some kind of gravity so you can like dig your feet into these like little tiny crack footholds. But I remember sitting there, you know, and then like starting to feel like one of your foot shake and you're like, this is how I end. This is, this is it. This is my, this is my last day right here. My, my hands are getting sweaty just thinking about it. Um, so this is what he's saying. He's like, is your foothold is about to slip. This is where his, his relationship with God is. He's like, I believed in God. I thought I believed him. But then when I got in the real world and I got into real problems, I'm ready to slip. I'm ready to be like, I'm, I'm gone. I, I'm going to shipwreck my faith right here. I'm, it's, it's not looking good, right? He's like, I almost slipped because um, he was envious of the arrogant and prosperity of the wicked. Um, verse 4. Let's keep going because there's a lot of verses about the prosperity of the wicked here. Uh, he goes, their body, uh, they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. 
they are not stricken like the rest of mankind. You ever, you ever feel that way? You ever been on Instagram like ever? Like uh, two minutes on, on Instagram, you're like, yeah, why do all these people have a great life, right? Uh, we, my wife and I were, were uh, look, she was looking at Instagram, and I was looking at her shoulder, and there was like some people were vacationing in Greece, and the water in Greece is just beautiful, right? You know, and they were like eating grapes and like all of this stuff, and like immediately my heart is like, really? Why don't I get to go to Greece, right? Like, why is that not my reality? And, and we begin to feel this frustration, right? And, and it's one thing, you know, you look at people who you like, maybe people in the church, people you know, oh, that guy works really hard. He, you know, he, he goes to where he's a good person. He loves Jesus. He's on vacation right now. Like, there's a twinge of jealousy, right? Like, oh, I wish I was doing that. But like, he's earned that, right? But then there's people in your life, you're like, that guy's a horrible person. He doesn't do anything right. He hates God or whatever. And like, it doesn't matter what he does, just the money piles up, right? You know, he's Scrooge McDuck, just swimming in the, in the coins. You guys ever watch uh, DuckTales when you were little? Some of you guys, yeah. Um, he just, the, the money just keeps coming. It doesn't matter what he does. He just, and it's, it's, you know, you're like, well, what is going on here, right? So we just keep, keep going on here, right? Okay, so he goes, Therefore, their pride is their necklace, and violence covers them as a, a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. I love that. Um, la, uh, their hearts overflow with follies. This is like the idea of like, there's nothing that's not available to them, right? So they eat good food, and they're like, that was really good, but like, we really just need some more, right? I'm just going to eat all the things, right? I'm going to go all the restaurants. In fact, I don't, I don't like the restaurants here. I'm just going to go to the country where they make the food, and I'm going to eat the restaurants there, right? Like, just— their eyes are swelling out through fatness. Like, they, they, whatever they want to look at, whatever they want to eat, it's, it's all there. Um, and they're just, they're going to everything, right? And you're like, yeah, 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 that's not going to lead to, you know, we're, we're sitting here on this, like, high ground. Like, you know, that's going to, that's going to lead to bad places, but it doesn't, right? So he goes, uh, they, they set their, um, they scoff and they speak malice, this is verse 8. Uh, loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens. Their tongue struts through the earth. You just kind of think these people, they're rich. They've got everything they want. And now they're just like, they're, they're just spouting out the mouth. You know, they're, they're, like they don't care about anybody, right? They're just like, well, I'm the best. Um, when he talks about like uh, the heavens, he's like, you know, they're saying maybe bad things about God. Like, you know, God, you know, God's an idiot. Or like God doesn't look like you. Just horrible things. Just whatever they want to say. And it says, and this people turn back to them and find no fault. And people are like, yeah, that checks out. He's rich enough he can say whatever he wants. Um, I, I agree with him. Have you seen how much money he had? Like, like this whole concept of like hero worship, right? Even with, whether it's, um, you see it often in sports or uh, movie stars or just this concept of people have enough success and enough wealth that everyone's like, well, whatever he says must be true, right? That, that's, that's these guys' lives, and it, it's, it's hard not to look at him and be jealous and be like, I kind of want that. I want to have an easy life. I want to have a life full of vacations and good food and like no stress about how I'm going to pay my bills, right? Um, wouldn't that be nice? And he, so he keeps going here. Uh, and he says, and they say, how, verse 11, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? This is what these rich, evil people are saying. They're like, God doesn't God doesn't know. He's not looking. He's asleep. Like, just totally arrogant. 12. Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. Verse 13 is where he really starts wrestling. It says, All in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. 
You ever felt that way? You ever felt that way? I believe in God, and it has not worked out to me. I have done what is right. I paid my taxes. I was honest, and I'm being punished for it. While the guy who didn't do all those things is getting rich, and his life is getting easier. Maybe in vain I have kept myself clean. In vain I have, like, pursued a relationship with God. I've gone to church on Sunday instead of hiking Mount Pilchuck or whatever. You, you know, like, I did the right thing, and it's, it's not working out for me. He says in um, 14, For all the day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. Just things are not going well for him. Um, and then 15, things start, start to change a little bit. Because if I will speak thus, if I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. So he's kind of got this concept of like, where my mind is going and where I was going with that train of thought isn't leading to good places and could affect other people. Um, let me just stop right there and just, let's, let's be honest. We're talking about a relationship with God is an honest relationship. And so we see the success of other people. We see the wealth of other people. We see whatever it is, and how does it make sense? And we can be angry at God, and we can be frustrated at God. It's a struggle. Life seems more of a struggle to me than for anybody else, and that's kind of the concept of what, he, what he's saying here, and, and it's shared by a lot of us. Either God is good or he's not, right? We, we start to have the same conversation that Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden, right? Where Satan shows up, and he's like, man, eh, is God really good? Like, is he really for you? It seems like he's withholding good things from you. All the other people are eating from the, you know, the, the knowledge of the fruit and evil, and they're getting, you know, they're loving it. It's making them wealthy, and it's making them rich, and they're happy, and they're fat, and you're hungry. How is God? He's holding out on you, right? It's the same lie that, that they did. We're, we, you start feeling it. So where do we, where do we go with this? Um, I, kind of a side note here is, is that thinking is like Christian karma. Right? And I just want to make sure that karma, the, the general concept of karma permeates our culture, right? You do good and good things will come to you, right? Like pay it forward. You go on the Starbucks line, you pay for the guy behind you because somehow that means later in the day, you will, you know, God will give you a bonus or something, right? Like this idea of you're a good person and then it comes back to you. We don't believe in that, right? The gospel is that we can't earn God's favor, so God had to do it for us. So then we're like, cool, thank you, God, you did it for us. And then it's like, no, I'm going to be good because I'm going to pay God back. No, we can't pay God back, right? There's nothing we can do, right? I grew up in the church. I believed the gospel. I thought my whole life, and then I've mentioned this before, that in college, my little sister died. And I remember looking up at God and shaking my fist and saying, you owe me, God. I have lived for you my whole life. I was at Bible college. I remember in high school sitting in front of a mirror while my friends tried to get me to swear, and I wouldn't swear. I was that kid. I was the good kid who never did anything wrong because I believed in my heart that if I did all the right things, that later in life when I really needed him, God's like, well, you did do all of this stuff, so I'm going to come through for you. You're going to get that bonus you need. You know, you're going to have the good life in the end. And I realized that I was believing a false gospel. I was not believing what the Bible says. It doesn't say, do good and God will do good to you. That's not what that verse means at the beginning. 
It says God loves us, God is good to us, but he, you know, he took care of our sins, he paid the price, but our lives may be difficult our whole life. And that's what he's wrestling with here. What do we do with this? Okay, um, one, more, uh, one more thought about this before we kind of start moving on to the rest of it. Um, he says, betraying the, the next generation. If I would speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. And I think it's a really good reminder that our relationship with God impacts the people around us. Okay, if you're married and you have kids, they see your relationship with God, right? And if we're not honest about our relationship with God, or even honest with our kids about our relationship with God, we're like, like, we, you know, believe in God, God's the best, but then our life shows something different, that we're really wanting wealth and privilege and all this stuff, and this is what our life looks like, but then what we're saying over here is like, but you should love God, and, and he's great. Like, that insincerity in our life, they see it. They see it. They're like, that doesn't add up here, right? And maybe you're not married, it's your roommates. They're like, yeah, you say you believe in God, but like, I see all these other things. Or your, your, your close friends at work, or your siblings, you know, if you're kids, they, they see the real you. They know things aren't quite lining up. And so it's so important for us to have a sincere and true and honest relationship with God. Much better to say to your kids, like, I'm struggling with this. Like, God says he's like this, but I'm seeing this and I'm struggling. That's honest. That's something that they can build on. But we're saying, like, God's good. Remember, God's good. But I'm over here just like, not living life. They, they're like, something's broken there. Some, I can't trust it. It's not honest. It's really important for our, our faith to be honest um, because it impacts other people. And so as I, I move to the next point, I just want you guys to, to just take two seconds and think like, where am I at right now with God? Like, where, where do I stand? What's going on in my heart? Am I honest with God? How can I be honest with God? Am I feeling close? Am I feeling far? Am I mad? And I'm mad at God, right? We have these moments. And we start there. That's the beginning of a relationship with God. Uh, so n- uh, number two, a, a deep relationship with God changes us. So in verse 16, he says, when I thought how to understand all this, it seemed a wearisome task, right? So he's like trying to figure this out. It doesn't make sense. I'm, and, and to me, I see it's like he's trying to understand how God works, Right? And in, um, in this verse here, where am I at here? Oh, Psalm 55, 8, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways, neither are my ways your ways, declare the Lord. So when we are trying to understand God, we're like, I really want to understand God because I feel like if I can understand God, then God's okay. Like, and we have to realize that we are not God. We will never understand how God works or why he works this way. We would set up the world a completely different way if, if it was up to us. And it's wearisome. We wear ourselves out trying to figure out and try to understand God completely. Now, God does give us truth in the Bible and, and teaches us things and helps us to see glimpses of him, but we're not God, and we will never, never understand him. And um, so he goes, I, 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 was, I was weary trying to figure that out. And then it says, 17, until I went to the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. And I want to stop there real quick. He says, okay, so I was in a bad place. I was about to slip, and then I entered the sanctuary of God. And, you know, we think of the word sanctuary as like the church, right? The, the building of worship. And that's true. A sanctuary is like a holy place 
where like heaven and earth, you know, heaven and earth kind of intermingle, where it touches down. It's a holy place. It's a special place, right? And uh, it's easy for us to think a building. And truly, when God meets with you and God teaches you something, when you feel God's presence, that is a sanctuary. And it happens at church. We, we believe it's really important to go to church, to gather with people, because your mind is in a certain way. This is how life works. This is how it's going. And then you go to church, and you're like, oh yeah, <laughs> I was not looking at that the right way at all, right? It's just good to be reminded. It's an outside input, and, and to have our minds shifted, our, our thoughts shifted, our, our view lifted, if you will, to what's going on. It's really important. But the sanctuary doesn't just mean here at church. In the New Testament, God says we are a priesthood of believers, meaning we are each priests. If you believe in God, we're no longer need a priest to get us into God's presence. We ourselves are welcome to enter into the presence of God whenever we want. So wherever you are, what you're driving in your car, you're at home, you're whatever you, you are doing, you can enter a presence of God at any moment. You are a priest. And so he's like entering into this presence of God is where things change, where we change, where our mind changes, where we shift. Um, I'm going to skip here um, to this verse. I, I posted this actually in the, um, in the Facebook group earlier last week. Isaiah 30, verse 15. Um, it says, for thus says the Lord God, is it, is it up here? Can you put that up there? Um, Isaiah 30, verse 15. Um, I like the way it's in, in the NIV, and I put it up here in the NIV. So this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation, and quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. And, and that's kind of a weird verse. You're kind of like, what is it? What, how, what, what do these have to do with each other? But I, what I love about the word, the word repentance is this idea of turning, right? We're turning. And in uh, and the um, ESV, it says, yeah, it says returning, and so we have these moments where we're living our lives, and then when we enter into a relationship with God, he calls us to change. He calls us to turn, to turn our view, to turn what we do, turn our actions, but turn towards God. And it's not always like, I'm living in sin, I'm living in sin, I'm doing all these bad things, and then I'm repenting, which this is part of what God is, and like not doing those things anymore. Like, these are bad things. I'm not going to—that is repenting. But some of this is just turning our view, turning our hearts away from what we're looking at and back towards God. And I love how he, he pairs repentance and rest, right? When we are not in rela- good relationship with God, we don't rest well. We are agitated. We don't feel—we don't sleep well. We're not in good relationship with God. He's like, when you repent, when you return, when you— shift your relationship with God, you rest. Because no matter what's going on around you, you know me and God, we're good. Right? It doesn't matter what I've done in the past. Me and God are good right now. I just love this idea. And he just says here, going back up uh, to verse 18, he says, you know, I discern their end, 17. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. Lord, when you arouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. So he's like, I'm in a slippery spot as I look at what's going on, and I don't see God being justice. But he's reminded that God is a just God, and that there is, ultimately, God is going to make all things right. 
And we don't like to think about God coming in and just destroying people, right? That's not a good feeling. But it, it is, it's an honest truth about the Bible. He's, he's going to come. He's going to make things right. He's going to do justice. But in 2 Peter 3.9, we really see God's heart here. He says, But God is not slow to fulfill his promises, not wishing that any should perish, but that everyone should reach repentance. So we see these things happening, and these like really, really rich people living it up, you know, shaking their fists or their middle fingers at God, saying, you know, who do you think you are? I'm, the, I'm God here. I've got all the things, right? And we're like, that guy's going to burn, right? Like that's our response. God's heart is, I'm going to be patient, Maybe he turns to me. There's still time. That's God's heart. It's not our heart. We're ready, we're ready, to, we're ready to go to war, and God's like, I'm going to give them some more time. I'm going to give them, I want people the opportunity to have a relationship with me, to turn, to change. And we see it. It happens. And it's beautiful when it happens. Meeting God changes us. And um, we hear about a God that loves us, and dies for us, and pays for us, and does all the work, and all we have to do is turn towards him, and he does the rest. In fact, he turns us towards him most of the times anyways. He comes after us and, and pursues us. So number three, a deep relationship with God is about being near God. Uh, verse 23 and 24, nevertheless, so he shifted. He, he said, I went to the sanctuary. I realized that God is justice, and things aren't as I thought they were. And now he's kind of now introspective here. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Now, let's stop right there. There's, I'll keep going here in a second. But the whole reason we obey God and we pursue a relationship with God is for the money, right? Is for the success. Is for the happiness. We, he says, no, it's to be with God. God is with us, and that's better than anything else. Um, I think about the disciples on the, uh, on the boat with the storm. We've talked about this probably before. On the storm, and they go to Jesus, they're like, we're all going to die. He's like, I mean, the creator of the universe is literally here with you in this boat. What do you have to be afraid of? What could there possibly be go wrong? right? But this is us. We're looking at the world. We're trying to control things. We're, we're freaking out about what's going on. And God's like, if you have a relationship with me, I am literally with you. I'm in you. It says, you hold my right hand. I think about all the things we do with our right hand, especially if you're right-handed, right? Scroll on Facebook, whatever, right? Your right hand. Shake hands. Work, right? All the things that we do is with our right hand. God is with us. He's holding our right hand. We forget God is with us. That's the whole point. I was, when I was preparing for the sermon, I was thinking, what if heaven was guaranteed? Okay, let's say, you know, God came and said, everyone here goes to heaven. Everything's great. Everything's paid for, whatever. You, have, you don't have to do anything else. Go live your life. And you had a choice to either be rich, faint, all the things you could possibly want your whole rest of your life. But when you die, you go to heaven and be with him. Or you live a life of difficulty and poverty, but you have zero relationship with God until you die. But in the end, you all end up in heaven and everything's fine. What do you choose? If, and if you're honest, <laughs> that's not an easy choice. If you're honest, you're like, ah, 
But all the goodness seems so good. And what I'm proposing to you guys today is a deep relationship with God satisfies the soul in a way that no riches, fame, anything could ever touch. That chasing all the good things in the world would be misery until we got to heaven, and then it would be beautiful. We'd probably be much better off taking the poverty, taking the difficult life, but having God with us. And we don't, we just, we don't, we don't live this way. We don't realize that God is with us. Everything we do. Uh, I'm going to move on to uh, 25 and 26. He says, So whom I have in heaven but you, and there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Nothing on earth. This is what a deep relationship with God looks like. My flesh and my heart, verse 26, may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The cool thing about the portion here, so this psalm was written by a guy named Asaph, um, not David, and David, uh, David appointed him as one of his singers in his temple. And he wasn't even the lead guy, he was like the secondary guy. So he uh, wrote a bunch of psalms and songs to be sung, and this is one of them. And he was a Levite. And if you know about Levites, all the tribes of Israel all got a portion of land, right, as their inheritance, to, and wealth, and whatever that came with, with whatever happened on that land. But the Levites got nothing. What they got was to be servants in God's temple. And what he's saying is, my inheritance, my wealth, my portion, they called it their portion, is God. That's it. His inheritance is God. His wealth is God. He says, he's my the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It's, it, it means, meant something different to him because it was real and physical for him. This is what a deep relationship with God looks like. Um, and as I, as I kind of wrap up here, uh, the last couple of verses here, 27 and 28, for behold, those who are far from you shall perish, and you'll put an end to anyone who's unfaithful to you. But 28, this is like becoming my life verse, I think. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. And just, just kind of going through that a little slowly. If you guys remember, we kind of went through and, and kind of meditated on be still and know that I am God. Just went, worked through that verse real slowly and just brought it deeply and reflected on our relationship with God. If you do that with this verse, but for me, this is like a personal thing. He's not saying like, I want everyone to be this. He's like, but for me, this is my conviction. This is where I'm at right now. But for me, um, it is good to be near God. It is good. His desire is like, all I want to do is just be, just hang out with God. I just want to be close to God. I just want to be with God. For me, it is good to be near God. And that's what he desires. I've made the Lord my refuge. He's made it a point to refuge in God, which is like my, my, the, the last sermon I talked about. It's like, like find, carving out time, carving out space regularly, often to just be with God, to rest in God, to like relax and let God be God and us to be his children. I've made the Lord my refuge. And, and what this is, 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 is this is being with God before doing anything for God, right? He's like, I, I made the Lord my refuge. I rested, I relaxed in him. I soaked in, and I drank deeply of my relationship with God. 
then that I may tell of all your works. That comes later. Like telling people about Jesus, preaching, whatever. That, that stuff needs to come later. We get this all wrong, me included. You come up here and you preach about some verse in the Bible. Hey, we should do this, we should do this, we should do this. And it's all up here, good ideas, good thoughts, good concepts. But I haven't, I haven't done it yet. Right? That's, that's, not, that's not how the Bible says, first you be, first you soak, first you drink deeply. You deepen that well, right? You have a deep, fresh relationship with God. And then out of that overflow of what God is teaching you, you, you share the wisdom of God. Not because it's yours, not because you did anything, but just because you have refuged. You've been near God that you could share with other people. Then you can tell of God's works. So, a deep relationship with God starts with honesty. A deep relationship with God changes you when you meet with God. And finally, the deep relationship is all about just being with God. Like, that's the end of it all. Because when you die, you get to be with God. Nothing changes. Your relationship with God, does you see how that works? Like, we're so afraid. Like, I know how to do life here, and I'm, you know, and then heaven is kind of weird, and I don't know what goes on there. It's like, if the point of our relationship here is to be with God, and we can do that now, then when we get to heaven— it's just better, right? We're just more with God. We get that deep, soul-quenching relationship with God. So as we wrap, um, I just, I just want to encourage each of you guys to just take a second here and be honest with, with God where you are, right? It's just you and God. He already knows what's going on in your heart. Just be honest. And it can be good. You'd be like, ah, oh, God— I'm really thankful. You've blessed me a lot. And, and, then, and then think about maybe you need to, to change. I think our, our whole relationship with God is even when we're in a right relationship with God, to come with God and say, God, I'm listening. Well, what do I need to change? What, do I, what am I not seeing? What do I need to do differently? This life of repentance of like, I just want to be near you. What ways am I not moving towards you? Right? If God changes us, maybe there's something God's working in your life and saying, just this way. Right? And finally, are you carving out time to be with God? To really invest in that relationship? I can't make you love God. I can't make you believe the Bible. But God can. And, and if you would spend time with him, he would change you. Let's pray.